in the pattern podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, more my Alpha. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold short on the 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to the In the Pattern Podcast. This is episode 84. This is Chris. And along with me tonight, I've got uh, John, Brad, and Michelle. Uh, joining us this evening. Mark can't uh, make it this time, but uh, we've got a pretty much full episode anyways. So uh, without further ado, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Is uh is fall among you? Is it um, is it happening out there? It's still summer out here. No. No? Okay. <laughs> we, had, we had frost on the wings uh, last what? week. Get out. <laughs> There's barely frost in my freezer, let alone outside. <laughs> we were in northern Jeez. Michigan, which means we were a little ways north of Minneapolis, but not that much. Yeah. Almost Canadian style? Not quite? Well, we had all of Lake Superior between us and them. There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, well, at least someone's getting some uh, decent temperatures. We're still fluttering, fluttering around with the uh, – flirting, I should say, with the hundreds. But uh, we don't it's all good. Yeah, I know. We tried to uh, get out of uh, this heat for a little while. We went to uh, San Diego to camp land on the bay. Um, uh, was it last week or was it last week or week before last for uh, Labor Day week? Yeah. Uh, yeah, week before last that what it was. Yeah. And uh, didn't necessarily take the heat with us, but uh, it did. It was pretty warm, but we got the added benefit of the humidity. So. We were uh, glistening at all times from that. Uh, it reminded me of uh, Oshkosh. <laughs> so, not la- not this year's Oshkosh, which was very nice, but uh, mm-hmm. some previous ones. The East Coast, like half the year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. That's the thing is, it's still like it's finally starting to dip below eighty some days, but it's just just raining and just humid so much. It's mm. our windows have been fogged up for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm counting the days. To, I got people uh, pinging me all the time about, "Hey, when are we going flying? When are we going flying?" I go, "Soon, soon." It's, you know, it, it'll be. I kind of base it on, okay, we'll run up and do a breakfast flight, but I want it to be like, like under 95 by the time we're heading back into Phoenix to land, so it's not like a bumpy, sweaty, miserable mess, you know, at even 9:30 in the morning, which it still it still is, but. Uh, Soon it'll be down there, and we'll be able to do some more uh, reasonable weather flying. I should say. So excited for that. Other than that, I haven't got a haven't had a chance to fly since I think June or so. It's been kind of a bummer. But you all have had opportunities. We have, Michelle. I think you have the first story chronologically. <laughs> well. Yeah, I guess that's the first story of a first. Um, I had my first solo since I last talked to you guys, which is a few episodes ago before Oshkosh. There we go. I was. Congrats. That's an exciting one. Yeah. (laughs) 
Thank you. It felt very long in coming. I felt like I was ready emotionally and and practically um, for a couple of months. And I, I really was just sort of waiting for the stars to align, you know, uh, getting a, a good calm wind day and just setting up the perfect conditions to have a positive experience, which, you know, my CFI felt more strongly about maybe than I did. Um, because I've, I've had so much sort of wind experience this spring. I, I really felt like I could have done it. Um, but you know, he, he just wanted it to be perfect. So we'd been waiting around and we'd had a couple of false starts. Like it, the, the conditions were perfect, but the airport closed the runway for some special event, you know, or the, uh, the wind conditions were perfect and the plane was available and the airport was open, but a club member didn't get it back in time because he got weathered in. <laughs> so you know, we had, uh, I felt like a bit of drama for a couple of months. So the actual evening that I went out to solo, I had, I wasn't really sure I was going to do it. You know, like it, it been so anticlimactic uh, at this point that I was just going out for a regular lesson. And had sort of set an agenda for myself to to redeem my previous lesson, <laughs> where I'd gone a sh- very short cross country out of um, Crystal, you know, which is is Mike India Charlie, and you know, a nearby airport, Buffalo. It's about twenty two nautical miles. This is a very common destination for students to go and practice. It's a non towered field. It is paved, but it gives you kind of that early practice in pilotage and kind of navigating your way over there and you could do you could do pattern work there and the previous lesson I'd completely failed to find it like I had GPS going I have it in you know he didn't want me to use the plane GPS he wanted me to find it on my own and it's it's rather obviously located next to a large lake which you know we have a lot of those around here so so to my my excuse is like it's all green and lakes when you're when you're in that particular uh area of the twin cities uh regional area (laughs) it's like i can't tell which lake is which anyway it was kind of embarrassing to me because my cfi is like you just have to look at the map and then look outside and like look at the patterns and i'm like phil i I know what i know how just look for the lake you know (laughs) just Just look for the the lake lake, huh yeah there's only just a couple Mm -hmm. of those around there from what i hear and I feel like I'm, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but I'm pretty good at spotting airports in the right seat. You know, when I'm just the passenger. I'm like, all I have to do is kind of look and make things. I'm not as good as Brad. I don't have his experience, but I'm pretty good at it. And I'm in the left seat and I'm trying to fly it. And I, it's, I swear to God, I was immediately over the runway before I recognized that that's where I was. So anyway, so this lesson, I was redeeming myself. And I'm proud to report that I, I did. I actually, without my CFI saying a word, we'd had probably at least four lessons now where he just gets in the airplane and doesn't say anything um, for much of it. Uh, he, he can't help himself. He's a CFI. But, you know, he will definitely um, hold back. And if I ask questions like, is that it? You know, he just sits there. So I found Buffalo all on my own. Um, I set up for my first landing. It was a little high. I did a go around. But, you know, after that, I settled into a groove. I did a bunch of pattern work. It was going great. It was a perfect night. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if he's going to solo me here at Buffalo. Like, is he going to do that? And he doesn't say anything. And I decide 
uh, okay, before I even bring that up, I need to, I need to get back to my home airport. <laughs> I need to successfully navigate back and do the radio calls and, and set myself up for the pattern at Crystal. And um, let's just focus on that. And so I did that, got back to Crystal, again, really flying well, really happy with my landings. And we get back to the to the hangar and we're packing up and finally I'm like, okay, he's not saying anything and I'm gonna ask. I'm like, Phil, like before I completely take all my stuff out of this airplane, is is tonight the night? And I think he was waiting for me to ask, to be honest. I think he wanted me to push for it because he's like, I don't know, you know, it's getting kind of late. And it's true. We had about 45 minutes left um, before sun, you know, sunset. He said, it's getting kind of late. Like, I don't know. And I was like, I can totally do it. I can go bang out three trips around this pattern. No problem. Let me do it. And I, he, he waited the appropriate suspenseful you know, amount of time before he said, okay. And wow. then he went off. Yeah. This, then it was super exciting. <laughs> he. He went and signed my my logbook, and I got out and made you know just did a little nervous pre flight. Basically, made sure that I had enough fuel, um, which I did, and just kind of got myself mentally ready. And when he came back out, um, I felt really calm. Actually, I, I I didn't feel nervous at all. Um, but I I and I had a great takeoff. Like they they. Gave me left pattern, which is what I wanted. Um, it's very, very common for them to give right pattern there, um, but I took left, and I was feeling really solid. I think it wasn't until I heard the live ATC recording later that that Brad grabbed for me that I realized that I was showing my nerves a little bit in my voice when they gave me the clearance to land the first time because I was on a very high pitched, uh, very, very excited. Um, <laughs> But in the cockpit, I felt great. I I did turn a little quick on the base, and I came in a little quick. So I can't say my first landing was my best landing. It was not. I, I floated a little bit. I had a little bit of a teeny tiny bounce. But the second two after that, I settled down. I did it. And then it was just everything that people describe, right? It's just um, kind of a euphoria. Like, it's just so exciting. I think I did a little jump on the wing of the plane, actually, when I got out. Um, so, yeah, so that was my solo experience. You noticed how it leapt off the runway a little quicker than it normally does and had a faster climb out oh. than it normally does because you're missing uh, missing a few hundred yes. pounds or something? <laughs> yeah, my CFI is a tall man. I mean, he's not a heavy man, but he's 180 pounds and, and, and over six feet. And, um, yes, I absolutely noticed that. Um, and I also felt like... I just felt the plane overall much more than it, you know, when it's lighter. Like you just, you just mm. feel the way that it responds to movements very differently. And I actually think, so I've had since then, I've had my second solo too. I should mention two days after that, I took the morning off work and I went out for a morning flight and just repeated it, did the full pull the plane out, you know, do all the pre flight, do everything, you know, do three trips around the pattern and put it away. Just, just to kind of make sure that I didn't build it up too much in my mind. Um, and I think that it 
you get a different sense of flying when you're by yourself. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if it makes me better. I don't know if it makes me better, but I'm certainly more aware of the buoyancy, I guess, of the plane. Yeah. Yeah. Trim, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, it's a little bit differently. (laughs) It's a good way Mm -hmm. to put it. Buoyancy, especially on landing when it's just like, it doesn't want to go down. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so since then I've had another flight lesson and I've been learning about soft field takeoff and landings and short field takeoffs and landings and, you know, got to practice a little bit of that on our Sydney trip, which I think Brad will talk about, but, uh, but I'm just so, so happy to have achieved the solo criteria (laughs) to be at that stage. It's, I guess for anybody listening, who's taking longer to get there than they thought, I I'm here to say it's, um, it's worth it. It's stick with it. Um, I'm happy that it didn't come sooner in my lessons because I felt very ready. Um, yeah, it's all I'm, about your yeah. timing for all the phases. You know, it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. there doesn't there doesn't need to be a specific uh, curriculum and timing and stages where something has to get uh, checked off by. So yeah. it's all about all about where you are in that in that journey. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, it, you reminded me of like, uh, I can remember just doing a quick flight from Deer Valley to Scottsdale, which is all of about a six minute flight, I think, um, from, from Deer Valley. And, uh, I'm talking, talking to Scottsdale and they're, they're clearing me into the pattern and, and to land and stuff. And my CFI is like, uh, do you see the airport? And I'm like, no, I'm looking, I don't see it yet. She goes, look straight down. <laughs> so i i've did it too i was like oh yeah i'm like so how should we enter the pattern now <laughs> yeah. yeah i was real happy it was a quiet airport the, the time that i missed it because yeah my cfa actually took flight controls and like dipped the wing down to show me that i was directly over the runway when i was like i think i'm directly over it and he's like yep there it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Heck yeah. Yeah. And and um um one more thing is that uh so you're so you're getting ready or you're starting to do the short field and soft field and all those all those things. Um mm-hmm. the uh short field landing is where I blew my 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 check ride. Um oh dear. I th- I think that I did it like the the one day that we were doing that sort of stuff and maybe never did it again during any of my training including possibly a pre check ride flight you know what i mean and oh, um mm-hmm. and i just i was i was everywhere except for where i was supposed to be and i wasn't i wasn't uh, getting the plane you know lined up and slowed down and on speed and on angle like i should have and 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 because I failed that, now it's a it's been a game ever since. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I use a thousand foot marker as my set down point nearly at every field I go to, and uh, oh. so it's it's I kind of have this mental picture in my head of of how high off the ground I need to be at the end of the runway or at the threshold markers or whatever the runway looks like. It can be configured several different ways, especially if there's a great big displaced threshold, and that's kind of different. But, 
you know, that thousand foot marker is, is always in the same spot based on, I think the, um, the, basically the, 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 the thresh or the, what do you call it? Yeah. The threshold markers, like where you would enter from the end of the runway. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my thing all the time. And, and also because there's a few airports here that are high up with kind of mesas around them and, 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 uh, mountains and stuff to where I don't want to have to deal with any kind of updrafts or downdrafts. So if I can aim for that thousand foot marker, then I'm well, I'm well beyond the end of the runway and I won't have to deal with that. So. So do you feel like if you hadn't, if you hadn't had that experience on your check ride, like, would you care as much? Like, would it be as much in your, like, I'm going to redeem myself? <laughs> no, I, I pro- probably not. It's probably, you know, it would probably just, just like other parts of the check ride that I don't go out and think about really anymore uh, as you know, whenever I'm doing my flights, there's certain parts of uh, certain parts of your flying um, during your training that, you know, doesn't come into every flight every time you go out and, and uh, go somewhere or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not doing turns around a point and I'm not doing uh, steep turns and um, yeah. various things, various maneuvers like on every flight. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's when you it's when you really, you know, mess up and then in your head, you know, in, in, the, in my teacher and my, or not my teacher, but my DPE that day. You know, she's she's about like five foot nothing German lady who's just like was like a mini Hitler uh, in the plane with me. <laughs> she was ready to fail me like the minute I turned the turned the key. Uh, there wasn't a key in this plane; it was a push button start. But mm-hmm. like I w- I didn't even do that right. But all I could say to her, I go, look, I go, Jackie has taught me to do it this way since the beginning. All I can do is mimic what she's told me to do. So maybe mm-hmm. you two might want to sit down together and get on the same page and tell her this is what you expect of her students. I said, mm-hmm. I'm really good at following directions. I just need directions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because at the end of it, when she failed me, she was like, um, she's, she said, you know, it, I, it's okay if you don't want to do the do uh, follow up with me, if you want to choose a different DPE. And I said, oh, no, 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 I, I've got you figured out now. I said, I can, I can follow <laughs> directions. I, I get what you want. I yeah. said, but I didn't know what you wanted you know, for certain things, you know, not, not just, not that it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the short field landing. It was a couple other things that Mm -hmm. she had got after Mm -hmm. me about, even like when we were like leaving, uh, just to head out to the practice area, I always left the airport, got to pattern altitude and departed the airfield that at pattern altitude. And so I'm just like downwind, like I'm in the pattern, you know, and she's like, Mm -hmm. well, are we going? to the, to the practice area. I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, why aren't we climbing? I'm like going, well, this is just the way Jackie's always told, showed me to do it. This Mm -hmm. is how I, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't, Mm -hmm. can't read your mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So anyways, yeah. So as as long as, as long as uh, your DPE and your instructor uh, have some sort of relationship, he's probably teaching you the way that DPE is expecting to um, uh, examine you. So, you know, that's interesting because I was asking him some questions about that and he actually hasn't sent very many students on. He's a fairly inexperienced um, CFI in that way. So I'm going to have to talk to some other CFIs in the club and some other, you know, 
students who've recently sat with her to get a feel for what, um, I mean, he did recommend one. Um, so I, I kind of have her in mind, but I'm not, I'm trying to not skip over the whole next part of my learning, which is of course the cross country. And I have to do some night flying yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously the check ride kind of looms over students all the time, right? You're always thinking about, okay, so I think I got it, but can I, can I do it to standard and can I explain it? And, you know, that's coming. Um, I'm actually trying to work out a plan to see if I can, if I can get all my qualifying flights in and do enough practice check rides to get to that point before the end of the year. I I think that would be great. Um, but I think DPEs are still like two months out for scheduling. Um, oh, wow. I know yeah. that's probably a regional issue. So I, I do want to reach out to, um, to the examiner I have in mind specifically and find out if that's the case for her. But I think demand has been pretty high and they've been talking pretty consistently about six to eight weeks before you can even get on their calendar. So that timing is something to work into my setting my own expectations as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of these, uh, these, uh, um, flight instructors have, uh, taken jobs in the airlines and whatnot. Cause a lot of them, you know, mm-hmm. do this to build time and whatnot. And there's been kind of such a demand for, for new, uh, commercial and ATP pilots and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think that's driving a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. That's what has been happening with me since I talked to you guys last. Cool. John, Brad, do mm-hmm. you have anything to add there that uh, I made, I might have missed or something that you have to, to say in regards to what I had said exactly? I, I think um, just jumping back in time to the, to the solo, I think all four of us have, well, f- all four of us on the call and Mark, we've, we've all experienced the solo from inside the plane. And this was the first time that I've experienced the solo from the ramp. And you know, watching <laughs> yeah, somebody good else point. do it. <laughs> and, good point. And that's got quite your, the experience. You had your radio on listening the whole time and everything? We had the radio. I actually had live ATC on. I, I oh, okay. didn't have my radio. I don't think I had my radio with me. Um, but I had live ATC on. And actually, I was at home. And Michelle's like sending me a text, like, "Hey, if you want to come, you might see the last, the last one." And I was like, "Wait, did she solo?" Like, <laughs> uh, and great. so I like, you know, on my way, and I and I get there, and I'm hoping that I'm going to see the last trip around the pattern. And uh, turns out that you know she hasn't launched yet, and which, uh, she was on the ground, and the plane was on the gr- was there, and I was like. Oh, I missed it. Nope, she hadn't started yet. So, got in the plane <laughs> and, and taxied out, and you know, did the did the whole thing at student pilot speed, right? Where you know you're just kind of carefully working the checklist, and everything's taken a while. And uh, I was talking with her instructor, and um, it 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 was interesting from my perspective because Michelle started talking about flying more like a pilot in command than than like a student than like somebody receiving instruction she started you know she was listening to podcasts and she's like 
figuring like listening to Max Truscott on his aviation news talk and, and, and just like having opinions <laughs> about this stuff, like, like somebody who's going to be in the plane. And I was like, yeah, yep. Now you're, you're ready because you're starting to think like a PIC and not like a student receiving instruction. Um, so I wasn't surprised. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, and then two days later, she's back up in the air and uh, heading up again in a couple of days. Um, and, you know, she's uh, uh, that one I'm not there for. And I'm just kind of doing the mother hen thing and watching on on four flight, you know, watching the traffic um, around the airport and like, okay, yep, there she goes. And yep, she's back on the ground. <laughs> and okay, there she goes again. So that landing was good. All right. You know, um, it, it was interesting just being the, the other party that, that wasn't in the plane. See, this is the thing that you learn when you uh, become part of the podcast community is that there is a Max Truscott milestone. <laughs> when pilots start listening to Amy Webb and start listening to these podcasts, that's a milestone in and of its own. Excellent. <laughs> Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, our start, right? I mean, we were. <laughs> we started this, what, just before our solos? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So. Exactly when we started. Mm-hmm. I think it's when your brain just starts really just receiving the information differently and. And yeah, like Brad said, just that, that transition to not necessarily constantly absorbing everything or just, you know, you're doing it more. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for me, I will say that a lot of the maneuvers came pretty easily, easily isn't the right word, but I mean, they came earlier in the lessons, you know, it takes maybe 15 or 20 hours to kind of get some of these basics down you know, landing is hard. And, and for me, the weather was tricky. We had a lot of wind, a lot of crosswind. So I'm really not getting a lot of opportunity to just practice normal landings um, when, when you would want that practice. So it's, it's right away you're learning crosswind. And I'll say that I got to the point where I was constantly trying to learn how to gauge how much wind drift, how much crabbing do I need? When do I need to turn in? How am I, you know, intuitively bringing bringing the visual picture of my descent together with what does the plane do you know and and still still making more automatic that if i'm slow i do this if i'm high i do that you know it it took a long time and somewhere along the way i got kind of focused on crosswind landing techniques and kind of forgot some of the basics of like, what do you do when the wind's calm? And, and it, I mean, this is a confessional moment here, but I'm talking to my CFI about the fact that I, I'm having some impulse control issues. Like I pull the power and I pull the first notch of flaps and I want to turn base too soon. And it, it's setting me up for a high steep, you know, uh, approach. And I, and I can't seem to quite break the habit. And he's like, well, what's your visual cue for turning base? And I was like thinking that he was trying to get me to say, oh, it's when you're a half a mile out or, you know, this or that. And I was like, I, I don't I don't know when it's when it's left pattern at Crystal. It's when I'm over this warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, so the 45 degree out the back window, the numbers thing. I was like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about it. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably had four or five lessons where I just 
like forgot a fundamental. And so I don't know. My, my point of that is, I guess, um, I, I think it can take a while to just bring, to synthesize all of the lessons into one coherent piece. <laughs> um, I, I won't say I've mastered crosswind landings, but I've certainly done a lot more of them than I have done just, just regular, you know, just sort of calm wind ones. Um, and I'm looking forward now, now that I feel like I've met a standard of, hey, you could safely take this airplane up and get it back down on the ground. It might not always be pretty. It might not always be smooth, but you can safely do it. That confidence now really does shift my attention. Um, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm still talking to myself the whole way around the pattern. I'm still reminding myself. Of, of all the things the CFI has taught me along the way. But I do think that that lets your brain sort of turn to, to a different way of thinking about flying, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think you're like us now, waiting for that uh, call to come over the uh, the intercom on the airliner flight. <laughs> uh, when you're and, and like, do we have any pilots? And you're throwing elbows to get to the, uh, to get to, to get to the front. You know what I mean? You're ready now. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but um, I feel really good about where I am. And it's, I haven't always felt that way since I started. I mean, gosh, I started about a year ago. And I, you know, I was like, oh, I can, I can do this in six or maybe eight months, you know, and now I'm a year later and I'm, I've just soloed. So <laughs> there have definitely been times when I've thought, man, I don't know, how long is this going to take? Like, am I going to get it? Um, <laughs> And so it is, it is a real feeling of accomplishment to get to solo. And it's all the things that everybody shares, right? They're like that feeling when you are the one to close, you know, again, in in my plane, you know, there's only one door. So it's usually the right seat that closes it. Um, But for me to reach across that seat and close the door for the first time and, and realize that there's, there's no one sitting next to me. I mean, all those emotions are, are, shared but i think when you've achieved solo status is deeply personal and and when you really feel ready to be pilot in command is very personal and and it's it's such a huge um it's just a a huge moment that all pilots share even though it's it's unique to them Mm -hmm. and I'm, i'm happy to be I'm happy to be with you guys. Um, having listened back to your very early episodes when you were talking about doing solos and and your experiences of that. Oh, I, I went to go solo and then something happened and I had to get rescheduled. And you know, all, everyone seems to have their own stories. It's and it's it's lovely to hear them and it's lovely to be part of it. There you go. Welcome to the club, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. There you go. Yeah. Now you get to do all the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. All the cross countries and actually like going places. Cause yeah. I remember yeah. my yep. first solo cross country just being so cool. It's like landing. My instructor was like, Hey, text me when you get down and I'm down there and I'm like, Oh, I'm here at the airport by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm very excited to do that. Now your CFI's uh, schedule doesn't matter as much. All you have to do is schedule the plane. True. Yeah. Although, again, what I'm trying to do now is schedule the dual cross countries with him so that I can yeah. get kind of efficiently knock off those. Again, I, I'm, 
I'm calling them the qualifying hours, right? Like they're not necessarily everything I need to learn, but just getting the qualifying hours in. And I feel very fortunate because I've done a lot of cross countries, you know, as a passenger with Brad and, and even in the past year with Brad. I have opportunities to learn, even if they don't count in my logbook. Um, learning is learning, but I'm ready to check those boxes and kind of, yeah, do the fun stuff. Go places is the whole reason I wanted to learn to fly. There you go. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. But enough about me. <laughs> okay. Well, John, I, I heard, and I actually saw a post that uh, you found an airplane to actually sit inside and not just make airplane noises of your own. How'd that work out? There's no way that happens. <laughs> There's photographic evidence, so it's true now. Not only did I do it, I did it twice. Nice. See what happens? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess for me, you know, that post-Osh bug, finally, um, everything lined up and got around to scheduling. So, um, end of August, I got a day... Uh, a weekend or something to go get down to Bay Bridge and um, hook up with the instructor down there and start um, doing the checkout in the RV-12 and um, doing the flight review at the same time. So trying to do both. Um, I will say the lead up to that flight was the most intense, like two weeks of studying I've done in a long time. Um, just going through the like flight review sporties app. Um, and just remembering all the little things. And then I spent a whole bunch of time on YouTube just watching people in RV-12s and stuff and like reading the manual and just like going through and just being like, all right, how do you land this thing? Because it's like, I'm doing this transition to a new airplane. So I got to learn all the new speeds and all the new references and stuff. Um, so just trying to be as prepared as I could be so I could just shorten the time that I had to, you know, be on the plane. Um, so it was it was pretty intense. Um but I think by the time I actually got to the airport, I felt pretty ready. Like I'd, I'd gotten myself back into that mindset of flying. Um, and I kind of felt like a student pilot again. <laughs> Was it like you remembered? <sighs> like riding a bike? Yeah. So once we got in the plane, it parts of it definitely were. Um, there were... Other little naggy parts that weren't, but a lot of that was just the transition, not necessarily the flying aspect. Um, yeah, you had a whole different cockpit that you really hadn't been used to, right? Yeah, I mean, it's still like these have the Dynons. So like I had to get used to the Dynon software, which is also a whole bunch of the training I was doing on like YouTube was like, I bet. How does this work? Because <laughs> um, I've flown the Garmin's and I've flown the G1000. So like I, I know kind of the basics of the glass cockpit but it was like getting this system down and there's all the little various you know crazy ux decisions they make for things that you have to learn um and at the same time trying to figure out okay which model of dynon and stuff do they have in these airplanes um because that i actually didn't know until i got there that like oh they do have the latest ones that have like the touch screen (laughs) and one of the planes actually has dual screens and one only has the single um which turns out I actually cared less about than I did in the 172 with the Garmin. Um, I never looked at the other screen the whole time I was in that airplane, which was kind of weird. So I had done all this prep, did a whole bunch of ground with the instructor because turns out, like I probably mentioned this years ago, I did, I started to try to do my flight, my last flight review at Baybridge airport. So at this airport with the different flight school 
And I ended up not getting it done there and doing it somewhere else. But the first day I was there, I had to cancel because there was a low cloud layer that just was not burning off. Like it was fog that was lifting. And then it just like kind of stopped and hung there. And it did the same thing that Sunday. (laughs) And so it was just sitting there. And so he actually had a, a, a discovery flight he canceled because he's like, we can't leave the airport. Like I can't take a discovery flight out there right now. So he's like, well, we got two extra hours with the plane so we can just see if it works. <laughs> and um, we just kept waiting, walking over to the one building to check the uh, uh, check the weather because they have a weather station there, but it doesn't report like normal ones. You have to either call it or like get it over the radio. I forget what kind it is, but like four flight won't pick it up, for instance. Um, so we just kept walking over, seeing what the ceiling was. And it was like hanging there at like 1700 for a while. And the pattern altitude is 1200. So he's like, we really got to get to like 2000. <laughs> and so we just waited. And then finally, it started looking like it was getting above that. And a couple people came in um, and we're like, yeah, it was like 2300, 20, you know, 2500 or something like that. And so we were like, all right, let's do it. Um, so did a a little bit of a long pre-flight, just asking a lot of questions about the plane and getting to know the pre-flight on this plane. Um, turns out it uses uh, s- the Swift 94 octane fuel. So oh. I got really scared when I pulled the uh, fuel from the sump on the bottom because it was completely clear. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, crap. Water? And I, <laughs> well, and I smell it and I'm like, this is gas. And I'm like, wait a minute. He said inside that they use the Swift fuel here. I was like, what color is Swift fuel? Right. And so I'm like, <laughs> he had gone to get a coffee. So I'm trying to look it up. He comes back. I'm like, what color is this? And he's like, oh, it's clear. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, um, so how do you know when there's water? And he's like, it bubbles. I was like, all right. <laughs> and it's okay to mix with regular 100 low lead, right? Because if you yeah, go somewhere you can else. Mix it. Yeah, you can mix okay. it. No problem. Um, apparently, with the Rotax, they don't really want to be like purely uh, hundred low lead. They want to be like MoGas or like the Swift fuel. Um, but if you run it, I think if you run it like exclusively hundred low lead, you just have to add an additive to it that like cleans it out to keep it. Yeah, because all the lead deposits. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that was probably the one thing on the pre-flight that was like threw me off. Oh, and the other thing was uh, we had to burp the engine. Um, to get the oil mm-hmm. to read correctly, uh, yep. which I'd never done before. That's kind of weird, um, isn't it? Yeah, just like physically moving the prop, and I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. Like I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> and then you hear it gurgle. <laughs> yeah, the the gurgle is weird. Um, so when you have to turn the prop to burp the engine, do you turn it backwards then so that the mags can't fire? Well, or you don't it- have them on. You know, you, well, yeah, you, do, you don't you normally do it no in the power. plane anyway, but we right. we always were taught to turn them, turn the prop backwards only, so that if there's a bad P lead, it it can't bite you. Yeah, we didn't. I only know this a little bit because uh, I uh, flew with flew with a guy for a while a few summers ago, and we were in a um. What was the CTLS it? or something? That, and that's what I was going to say, but it's it wasn't the CTLS. It was... Or the Eaglet or... Uh, one of those little ones. I can't remember. It totally reminds me of the CTLS as far as like short and round, um, mm-hmm. round cockpit, short fuselage, two-seater, of course. I forget what it was, but... Um, but yeah, I remember doing that too, and I was like, well, that's weird. Got to do that every time, huh? 
after yeah. it's been sitting for a while, that is only, I mean, you don't have to do it on a, if you're only going to be gone and, you know, go eat and come, come back or something. Oh yeah, for sure. That was the other thing that, that got me with this was it, it started right up. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, in the 172, you're just not used to that. It, you know, it takes a couple times, um, to get going in this thing. It's just like, turn the key spins a couple times and then bam, it's good to go. Um, and the, the mixture is just a choke. So you just, you only pull it um, to start it cold and then that's it. You put it in, you leave it alone. Um, which I'm only just now realizing that I wasn't dealing with mixture at all. <laughs> um, there was definitely a couple things with this plane that like, it was like those little things that like at the end of the flight, I was like, it was just a lot less I had to manage. Right wasn't significantly less, but like just enough that I was like, oh yeah, that was like, that was nice to have like a couple less things I had to deal with stuff like the transponder. It's like, you don't really, as long as it's set to like 1200, right. And it's on ground. As soon as you lift off, it'll turn on. So you don't have to manually do it, you know, unless you, you know, ATC wants you and you're in a busy airport or whatever. And they tell you to turn, you know, alt on, on the ground or whatever, but like, you don't have to, um, it'll just do it. And stuff like that. So, um, there's just a lot of those little bits that were, that were kind of nice. Um, I was definitely nervous about going up <laughs> just because it had been seven years since my last flight review and five and a half since I last flown. So I had wow. no idea what to expect. I was like, I, I don't know. I was just expecting, a, you know, a terrible experience, <laughs> honestly. Uh, and just to kind of mess everything up, but um, so is it like is it like riding a bike? Yeah, I mean it was kind of weird. Well, at first, at first it was castering nose wheel, which threw me off. So taxiing was really weird because I'm used to the, you know, you turn the rudder and do it. And so like at first, I'm like awkwardly like when you first learn to ride a bike and you're going like side to side and you can't drive straight. <laughs> it, it really, it really did remind me of like. A being that like student pilot when you first get in and you just can't taxi worth anything um <laughs> it was all over the place because it was just getting used to like using the brakes and like tapping them and letting go and letting go you know just to get the nose wheel turned and then once it's turned you got to lead the turn and all that. it's just like it took me man forever to get that down um once we got on the runway and took off um it all came back pretty pretty quickly you know we got up we left the pattern um we were able to leave and go kind of south a little bit and do some clearing turns. And a lot of that was just honestly for me getting used to that airplane and just how it flew and, and flying it. Because I, I gotta say the RV 12 compared to even the diamond I flew, it is so just, you feel everything. Um, and the instructor had said at one point, he's like, it's almost like you got to wear the plane. And then we went up and flew and I was like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> And I feel like it's also requires a lot more rudder, especially on the runway than a 172 ever did. Um, the 172, just like thinking about it now, it's just kind of mushy and <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a little more stable, but it's a little mushy, I guess is the best. I don't have another word for it, really. It's just kind of like the difference between that where this thing, it's like you just kind of like two fingers, move it a little bit and you're pointed that direction. I, yeah. the the weight difference between the two is is pretty significant but also you got that you got that uh, stick now instead of a a mm -hmm. yoke 
And you're right. It's very light, very twitchy, you know? Yeah. And two fingers is, is probably all you need. Now I've never been an RV 12, but the other small, uh, LSA with the Rotax, I, same thing. I noticed how you didn't want to lay any weight onto it. You know what I mean? It's like, like you're saying a couple of fingers is pretty much all you need. Yeah. And by the end of the second flight, I was definitely like two fingers on that thing the whole time. Um, you know, so it was definitely, that was, that was cool. Just feeling the difference, but then knowing like, Hey, I'm in the air again. This is, this is a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, and the visibility was the other big thing, just having the bubble canopy and being able to just see so much. Um, that was nice, but went out, did, uh, did some clearing turns, did a steep turn. Um, came back and basically got in three landings and uh, the first landing wasn't great, but that was just like, how the hell do I land this thing? Right. Sure. Different sight picture. Yeah. The first one's forgivable. Sure. (laughs) Exactly. After after that, we're going to be on your ass. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah. And these are, uh, you know, this one, they don't, they don't allow um, touch and goes. So, um, cause a whole bunch of noise abatement procedures and everything. So it was, uh, stop and go. So stop, you know, taxi back, whatever, get everything, you know, reconfigured. Um, but it was definitely just, it was a different approach. Um, the speeds were relatively similar to the 172, but this thing wants to fly. It does not want to slow down at all. Um, so I noticed throughout all of the flying here that I had to really be on it with the speed. Cause you can't just dump the flaps and like get that, like, you know, big drag that just slows it down. Like you dump the flaps and it's like, I pointed the nose down, but like, that's all I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're flapper too, which is the other thing. So it's a flapper on. And uh, what's the one the, um, in the back, the stabilator stabilators. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that was fun too. And the other, the other weird thing about these is the trim is a button on the panel. Um, oh, interesting. Which was definitely weird. <laughs> yeah. Taking um, your finger off the, off the stick in this case to, to do trim would be odd. You, well, it ends up being your, your throttle. Hand. Up, yeah. The throttle hand. Cause it's right above the throttle. So it's like, right where the um because that's there's oh my god what is that oh it's all the circuit breakers i think and then it's the um the light switches and av it says avionic switch all the lights and like next to that is the trim um but it's an electronic trim so you just kind of like tap it up or down and it moves it or whatever so um that took a little getting used to and like which direction does what because i'm just so used to the wheel and you just kind of throw it you know um but I mean, overall, the first landing wasn't great, but the next two I did not bad, honestly, um, considering I hadn't flown in five years and it's a brand new airplane that wanted to float down the runway. Like it, it really wasn't bad. Um, and just getting used to that new side picture. Cause it's very, like, I felt like I was really nose high in the flare and it turns out I really wasn't. It was kind of like, I didn't have to pull up as much as I wanted to. Cause it was already kind of nose high, just the way it flew um and then it just came down and then it was just learning how to slow the thing down because it's very twitchy on the ground (laughs) and i really had to get used to using the rudder 
to, to keep it on the runway a lot more than I think I ever had to on the 172. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, in the end I, I made it, I could still land. Um, the first flight wasn't too bad. And so I scheduled the next one for like a week or two later. Cause I think labor day happened in between. And then, um, was it last Thursday? I think I went up again and we did a, a short, very, very short, not even cross country to, uh, Easton. It's like, I don't know, 10 minutes or something. Once you leave the pattern until you're, you know, setting up to land or something like that. <laughs> um, but we did that, um, did one, um, stop and go at Easton. Uh, he just wanted to know that I could still do, you know, radio work and everything, which was kind of amazing too. how all of that just came back. It was just like, Oh, I know how to talk to class D controllers. I know how to like work the radios in the pattern and call all my stuff. You know, it just kind of flowed back. Like I was, I was a little worried that the radio stuff like wouldn't be there. And it just, it was, it was just like, Oh yeah. You know, 308 Victor alpha downwind runway two nine, you know, whatever. Um, there you go. Hey, does it, did it have two, did it have two radios in it or just one? It's got, he only has one. That's what, what I flew only had one too. Yeah. I don't know if that's a common SLA or LSA thing or not. Which, yeah. which, which made like, if you're transitioning between airports and you're like, you're still in a class Delta, but you're at, like, you're trying to go to this other one and then now you need to get ATIS, but you only got one radio. Yeah. So you can't really leave without, you know, so yeah, it makes that part a little more difficult. Yeah, I think that's where what what that flight really taught me was um, the cockpit management that like in this new plane, what systems do I need to make sure that I'm on the ball for those things? Because the other issue I have right now is that the only iPad I have is a 12.9 inch, which does not fit in that cockpit. (laughs) Right. So... I tried I that have once my... too, and it was miserable. It was I, I was I was frustrated with it in ten minutes. Just threw it in the seat and said, "I ain't looking at it." <laughs> exactly. But my thing was, and this is the question I have: is like, okay, do I need the iPad? You know, in this doing a glass cockpit, and the answer is kind of, right? So the things I really wanted were the stuff like calling up frequencies and looking up stuff on airports, uh, and seeing the like extended runway lines and everything like that. That is super useful because that is just really good situational awareness that like the Dianon doesn't necessarily have, or it's harder to get to. Um, and I do the checklists all on my phone anyway. So I think I'm going to find a way to like mount the phone somewhere. Um, because like I had an e-board and stuff and it was just, it was kind of messy. I didn't feel comfortable with that. So like, I, I need to think about that a little more to get that down. Um, but I had prior to going to Easton written down, uh, on a, on a post-it note that I stuck on the kneeboard. Um, the frequency. So I had them ready. Um, cause I didn't want to have to fumble with that. And that actually helped. Cause you're right. Like it was like, crap, when should I put that in? Because I want to make sure that I have, like, I need to get the weather in a second, but I, so I don't want to get rid of that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just trying to manage that with the two radios was definitely difficult, but I mean, overall it worked out pretty well. The one thing I will say is that I had a hard time finding the airport. And <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a theme. <laughs> Where's, I'm like, I, where's, where's the airport? <laughs> the one that's only 10 minutes away, by the way. I, I know. Right. Yeah. So, and it's a big, it's a big airport with two runways. Okay. And, and a control <laughs> tower. So like, it's not that hard to see, but for some reason I'm looking further than it was. And I just could not place it. And on top of that, we had some like red airplane traffic that tower called to us, which we could not see. 
like we never found that plane until they were literally like on like final over the runway and we're like oh there it is finally (laughs) (laughs) um i don't even know what it was but like we were just having a hard time but for me it was like i'm looking at the i'm looking at the synthetic vision i'm like it should be right there i'm looking at four flight it should be right there but i'm like i just don't see it like we're coming up like we're supposed to be like on base (laughs) no at this point i'm like what is going on but you know, eventually I got it and it was fine, but it was definitely like, it doesn't, it can still be hard even, <laughs> even later on. You know, for me, a couple of times it, it's been like uh, my zoom level on the GPS being mm-hmm. zoomed out so far, it makes you look like you're closer to something than you are. And then you zoom in, you're like, oh, okay. And now you get your bearing of one o'clock, three o'clock, wherever your airplane position is in in relevance to the uh you know airport yeah. or whatever so sometimes zooming in a little bit and going oh okay I, i'm not as close as i think i'm, I'm supposed to be or whatever exactly and the, and the problem on the eastern shore is there's just so many farms that there's just all kinds of big giant fields everywhere oh, so it's not see. like this is a different <laughs> field so you got a farm problem not a lake problem i get you uh exactly <laughs> Tell me about how many farms you have on the Eastern shore. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it, uh, you know, it worked out. I, I made it, made it out. Everything was fine. Uh, made it back, did a, did a landing. And um, uh, that one wasn't bad until I was like, I think I could make, because in the 172, I'm like, I could make this taxiway right here. So I was like, let me go ahead and, you know, I'll, you know, put on the brakes a little bit and it won't be hard. I'll pull back and it'll be fine. Yeah. No. As soon as I tried to move my feet to go on the brakes, the plane started going and it was like, uh Oh, <laughs> and he was like, Whoa. And I'm like, I've already bailed on it. I'm like, just trying to keep it straight. Um, and he's like, yeah, don't, don't do that again. It's like, don't try to make that one. And I was like, Nope, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So another thing where it's just learning that like rudder control and when to apply the brakes and how to do it. And, you know, it's a smaller runway. It's like 2,900 feet or something or how much it's 2000 something. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and all my training before I've done most of my flying out of a 5,000, 6,000 foot runway or something like that, you know, so it's definitely <laughs> different. Um, but I mean, moving to the smaller runway and doing it, it, it wasn't too bad. The only thing that threw me off is the noise abatement sends you out. And this threw me off the last time I was there, like seven years ago, you have to go like two miles South on your downwind, um, which just messes everything up. Cause then your yeah. base is super long. And so I'm trying to figure out like, when do I pull the power and start descending? <laughs> um, and I'm still trying to work that out, um, to get it kind of right on final, but but I was able to do it, you know, fi- figure it out. So you gotta so, go, I mean, you got to go two miles past the end of the runway for a noise abatement. When you're yeah. In so, yeah. Wow. There's a whole community south. And so you have to go down to this water tower. And uh, so it's a really big pattern that you end up doing. Um, you get a short approach. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's a little weird. But I mean... It, it worked out and then we we landed and he's like, all right, let me sign your logbook and get the rest of the stuff and take the picture. And he's like, it's a great day. It's a nice night. Like, why don't you take the plane, go do some takeoffs and landings by yourself? Um, So he signed me off in the plane right there and it almost felt 
kind of like a first solo again. Like I got to do it again. <laughs> I'm like, you're giving me the plane now. Like, are you sure about this? <laughs> <laughs> you seen all um, you need to see, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so he signed off on the flight review and the, um, and the checkout in the RV 12. So I've got it all in my logbook. I'll set up, uh, had to figure out how to do that with four flight correctly to get it to apply as a flight review, which was a little difficult. Um, but once I got all that, I got to do, I did three takeoff and landings, um, right before sunset. So the sun was kind of coming down. So it was just, you know, and this sits right on the bay and there's like the Bay bridge there. It's just beautiful. So it was a really cool, um, to get that kind of alone time in the plane that I haven't had in a while. So, um, and the first two landings were way too far. It just wanted to float the whole way. I just could not get the speed back enough. And the last one, I was like, I've got to get one more and get it right. And then the last one I nailed it. And I was like, all right, good. When you were by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just did not want to stop flying. It just doesn't want to stop. Well, that, those things land at like, I don't know, 38 miles an hour or something, don't they? Well, and I think that's the thing I, I figured out is they're like, yeah, on final, you want to be 65. And I'm like, I think you guys are just being conservative. So people wow. don't wreck the plane. Yeah. Because it doesn't want to stop flying when you come over the numbers at 65. <laughs> yeah, um, at 65 over the numbers. Okay. That's 172 numbers there, right? Exactly. And it just I mean, takes a while on. for it to settle because it, you know, you get in the ground effect and you don't want it to like bounce up. So it's kind of like trying to hold it at the top and then let it come down. And so what do, what do you um, do? What are you doing before you rotate at what speed? 50? Yeah, 50, you kind of pull it, you just pull it a little bit just to lift the nose wheel up and then it'll take off when it's ready, which is like about 55 with somebody, you know, maybe a little more than 55 with the instructor in the, in the seat. Um, when it was just me at 50, it was like, oh, no, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I was like, it was weird because it was like, you just pull back just the tiniest bit and it's almost like just peeling it off. And as soon as it's off, it's like spring loaded. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was the weirdest feeling how it just it just like leapt. Um, but I mean, I can't, it's, it was so cool. So cool to be back in the air, to be checked out again, to be current again. Um, at least day current. Yeah, you can take uh, I won't Owen. Get night, I won't get night current in the RV 12. And so that's the thing. Now I got to find the uh, weekend that I get to take him down to Cambridge, go get some food, see my grandparents. I'm going to be so disappointed. It's not a helicopter. Uh, you know, he is. Here's <laughs> the thing though. Uh, <laughs> he can go to so, college. Dad, right, lame. Exactly. <laughs> He can become a Twitch streamer, which is his goal, and make all the money, right? right? So that go. he can afford that and buy me a plane at the same time. No, but the thing I saw was um, David Vanderhoof on, online. I saw him posting because he had done a thing, like a helicopter museum or something, and it never put two and two together. And then I saw him post about it, and it's in like West Philadelphia. And I'm like, that's not that far away. It's like, you know, a 40 minute flight or something. I was like, why don't I take Owen as our second flight up there and go see this helicopter museum and then take him home? <laughs> So that might be our second flight together. That'd be great. To go check out some helicopters. So. That'd be. I'm sure it would be well received. Yeah, exactly. So I'm excited to get him up um, and to be current again. So I got 60 day currency. I got to keep uh, in the RV 12, but hopefully I'll be flying a little more than that. We'll see. So the drought is over. Awesome. <laughs> nice. I, uh, that's great. Well, I'm glad to hear you're back up there. Looking forward to some uh, photos with you and Owen with uh and the next flight at that, that museum sounds pretty cool though, too. And so it's just helicopters. Mm -hmm. Cool. Sweet. Um, 
for me, I'm still looking for an airplane. And the other day, I, uh, me and a buddy of mine who uh, who were looking to we'll we'll be partners on this plane. We've got I've got two people, me and my me and this other guy, and then we'll get a couple more eventually. But uh, at least us, we're going to end up picking out the plane, <laughs> and then 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 go. Hey, has anyone went in on this plane? So, uh, but uh, we found this this Comanche. 260 and they had just reduced the price from like 9 100 or 120 down to 90 and I and in today's prices I I kind of thought the 120 wasn't too bad considering what it looked like and the and the avionics it had in it and whatnot so we started talking to the guy and and uh you know it, things weren't quite passing the sniff test if you know what I mean it's like <laughs> no no pre-flight or no pre-buy inspection allowed kind of thing no, we, we haven't even made it that far yet, but that's on our list. But we're like, can we get a copy of the logbook and and uh, um, just take you know pictures or whatever? And he's like, no, I don't want to take pictures because because then someone can uh, can like uh, uh, I don't know take over the end number and get it registered in their name and blah blah blah. I don't know where he was coming up with this stuff. He goes, but I'll take a video of me turning the pages of the logbook. <laughs> Right. I'm like, he doesn't I'm understand like, how technology works, does he? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, you understand like a video is just a bunch of pictures running together. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, well, I'm gonna have to stop the video every time and pause the video and, and like try and read a log book with a, with the pause you know, the pause icon in the middle of my page and whatnot. Anyways, he sends us, he sends us three videos of him turning pages of log books to us only figure out that there's only logbooks going back to 1994, Uh-oh. which means there's about 30 years worth of logbook missing. <laughs> so uh, we're pretty much done. And now we understand why it went from 120 to 90 uh, and it's probably work, worth more like 75. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say 60 point. or 45. <laughs> yeah. Typically. I mean, if you have no logbooks, they say half, half of VREF, right? Something like that. But I don't know. Anyways, I'm not really interested in a plane that doesn't have all its logbooks. So, moving on. <laughs> oh. The search, the search continues. Yeah, it's uh, it's all right. I'm not. Uh, it's so much money and and that important to me that I only really want to do it once on the right plane. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'll have other planes in my life down the road, but especially on my first one, I don't want to. I don't want to waste a bunch of money. And the money I do want to spend, I want it. I want it to be on the right kind of plane that I do plan on having for many years. So, on onward and upward with, and as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never shopped, you know, really earnestly for for a plane yet, Chris. But I, I think it's like one of those experiences that you just can't rush. <laughs> you know, like enjoy yeah. enjoy shopping for it, right? Like. Yeah, I, I wish it was a car. I enjoy car shopping. Mm. I, I'm good at that. Of course, I was in the car business for like seven years and stuff. So, like when mm. we when we go car shopping and I'm with my wife, you know, yeah. Um, I was like, I was like, you don't tell them I was in the business. Don't tell them. And it's like because I like being on the other side of that negotiating table, you know, right? And just. <laughs> and then my wife finally gets fed up after about an hour and stuff. She goes, would you just tell him? And he's like, tell me what? 
was like, he, he did this for a long time and stuff. And then the fun's over and the manager comes out and <laughs> I was like, this, that's no fun. This, that just takes, takes all the fun out of it. Honestly, you know, we're going to, I'm going to get us a good price. <laughs> we don't have to go right to it right now. You know, I kind of have a good time. I, I, I kind of have fun negotiating, honestly, but anyways, airplane, yeah. whole different ball of wax. There's way, way more that goes into it than just a, than what a car is actually. So it's a process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more like uh, you know, for sale by owner versus uh, buying a house with a realtor. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Type of deal. Yeah. Right. And I, I do have, I do have at least two or three friends that are brokers that I'm constantly, you know, pinging and asking mm-hmm. things about and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I hear you. And so, and some people selling their plane won't even talk to a broker because they don't want to, you know, spend or uh, pay for commissions or whatever. So I get it. Fun. Well, I did. I had my share of flying this past chunk of time. I, Aiden and I flew out to DC, which was quite an experience, um, and flew into Gaithersburg, Maryland, which it wasn't Oshkosh busy, but it was busy. Like, there's four flight training schools on the field, plus apparently a couple of flying clubs. And it's in the Sifra, and it was a zoo. Um, but we lucked into a gap. On the arrival, we lucked in, we flew IFR and then lucked into a gap in the traffic pattern and uh, came in and landed. And everybody was like, we're on the 45 to the downwind. And I'm like, I'm going into the downwind, and I'm just going to land. Um, and it, it worked out fine. Uh, we, we fit in between uh, a pack of, of airplanes. I think there were five or six airplanes in the pattern when we, when we started and then there was a gap and I was very happy and we landed, um, and had a great time in DC and saw the sights and left the airplane there. Um, but we really wanted to see Udvarhazi, which is really, really difficult to get to when you're in downtown DC. Uh, there's no, there's no train that goes out there yet. Apparently I heard that there's one opening next year. Um, getting there, getting there. Yeah. Next year, it's really all the way down when I drive there and it's been there for years, just like oh. slowly getting further and closer and closer. And I'm like, one day that thing is going to open, but. Yeah, that's like there's a train by us. There, there will be someday a train by us, and I think they started in 2018, and I think they're now saying it might be done in 2027. Um, it's like they're hard to build. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, so we we couldn't find an easy way to get there, and we wanted to coordinate with John and see John and uh, and Owen while we were out there, and uh, found out that the easiest way to get to uh, Udvarhazi was to take a lift up to Gaithersburg, get in the plane, fly it to Dulles, and land, um, and then take uh, take a shuttle down to Udvarhazi. And so that's what we did. And on a Saturday morning, um, we got up. Well, not terribly early, but we got up and we had breakfast and we got a lift to the airport. The lift driver was an A&P for one of the local NetJets places. Um, shout out. <laughs> and uh, So he was telling us airplane stories and, and pointing out all the interesting things as we're driving past 
the CIA training facilities and all kinds of crazy things that you don't see in the Midwest. Um, but then we, we got in the plane and, and again, it was a zoo. Um, we had to wait, I think we were third or fourth in line to depart this non-towered runway at Gaithersburg. And everybody is like, we're departing to the Northeast. We're departing to the North. We were staying in the pattern and we're like, we're departing to the West at the big class Bravo airspace. Um, so once we took off, we had, a lot of space to ourselves like there was nobody going over there but it's really complicated because you have to file a dvf or uh, a special cifra flight plan and then you have to contact atc from the ground to get a squat code and then you get back to the ctaf and they give you a squat code and a frequency when you contact atc you go back to the ctaf you do the departure you switch to um, the departure controller and you say, hi, I'm here. I'm just outside of Gaithersburg and I'm, and I'm headed to Dulles. They give you another squat code and another frequency and you immediately switch to that. And then you have to work with the Dulles approach controllers and they're, um, they were really busy again until we got there. Um, so there was all kinds of jet traffic going in and out. And then we showed up uh, and got on to a, 2000 foot AGL traffic pattern. Uh, they wouldn't take us at a thousand feet. So we're like six miles from the airport doing a downwind leg at 2000 AGL. Um, and they put us on a base turn and give us to tower. There's a tower for each runway. So we're on the, the zero one center tower. And uh, we're like, hi, we're on the visual for zero one center. And they're like, okay, uh, you're good to go clear to land. And we turn final and Aiden's flown a lot with me before. And, you know, we, we make the turn on to final and the, the runway looks about right. And everything is pretty well set up, except that we realize that we're still like miles away and the runway is just 300 feet wide and two miles long. And it's just going to take a very long time to get there. And, the FBO is at the far end. So I'm like, we're going to land about a mile down this runway and we're just going to coast. And, <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> and the, then we went to the Udvar Hadzi center um, in Chantilly. It was delightful. Um, got to, got to meet up with John and Owen, which was also delightful. Um, we kept telling Owen that there were no helicopters there, but he knew <laughs> me from Oshkosh. So he wasn't having any part of that. <laughs> um, I don't think they have helicopters here. I think it's just airplanes. Um, but he was a good sport and, uh, uh, had, had a yummy meal at the Shake Shack that's in the, in there, um, which took a long time because like everybody else, they can't find anybody to work. Uh, they can't find anybody to work there. Um, but, uh, yeah, had a great time. Got a lift back to the airport, had a very long, involved flight home dodging weather almost the entire way um home uh, lots of purples and pinks on the radar uh in through ohio indiana illinois wisconsin um and almost all the way to minnesota we were kind of weaving dodging and weaving and and really down quite low um but 
it, it all worked out fine. Uh, we had a, we had a great time. Um, it was, it was, I was going to say an easy flight back. It wasn't an easy flight back, but it, it was pretty gentle. Um, but I was working, working fairly hard and, um, yeah, that was really fun. And then on Labor Day weekend, Michelle and I took the Archer up to Sidnaw, Michigan, uh, for a fly-in that we heard about at Oshkosh. Uh, some friends uh, from Camp Bacon told us about this fly-in, and uh, we flew up to the Upper Peninsula, the deep in the middle of nowhere. Um, we knew we had we must have found the airport because we could see some buildings, and other than that, it was like fifty miles of forest, just nothing, no roads, nothing. We're like, okay, I think that's a road. I think those are buildings. The The runway is just north of the buildings. And the runway, so as we're approaching, some storms kick up about 30 miles to the north of the field, uh, a large line of thunderstorms. And we're like, really hoping we make it in before those storms get there. And luckily they were moving really, really slowly. Um, but there's lightning and there's towering cumulonimbus and all this stuff. Big, big south uh, wind out of the southwest pushing us toward the airport, which was nice. And we get there and we're like, okay, we're going to do a low pass because it says on the website that you should do a low pass because they have lots of animals, um, wildlife, and I don't want to hit anything and get stranded um, in the middle of Michigan. So um, we're like, okay, we get on the radio, we call out, we're going to do a low pass. The runway is 2,600 feet grass um, with a 400 foot displaced threshold on either end and about 80 foot trees after the displaced threshold. So it's a little tricky to get into. Yeah, that sounds sporty. Yeah, it, it, it was sporty and until you took into account the... Uh, 70 degree, 25 gusting, 30 knot crosswind. And then it got real exciting. Um, so up until this point, Michelle had done all of the flying. She did the take, she was in the left seat. She did the takeoff. Um, she got us, got us there and, you know, was doing the f- switching tanks and doing all the fun things. And she's like, no, <laughs> I don't want any part of this. And I do the low approach and the plane, you know, as we get down below the tree level, the plane is getting tossed around and, and it was a little bit hairy, but I was really glad we did it because we could get a feel for what the winds were like um, coming in there. And then we come back around, fly the pattern one more time. We lose the airport in the pattern because the trees are so tall that they completely obscure the runway. And we're like, well, I know it's over there, so I'm just going to keep kind of flying in this direction. And sure enough, you know, then you can you can see it on when you're lined up with the center line, you can you can see it again. Um, so we've all, except for Chris, everybody's lost the airport uh, on this on this episode of the podcast. Um, <laughs> good title. Uh, and uh, we come in and. Again, it's a really, really squirrely landing. The plane's getting pushed all over the place. The stall horn's going off. I'm trying to slip the airplane, but the 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 crosswind is so severe that by the time I put the airplane into a slip, we're almost perpendicular uh, to the runway. And I'm like, this is this is not very much fun. So I give that up, and we just do 
uh, a kind of a normal short field approach uh, as best I can. And just as we get to the ground, the wind dies and the plane greases onto this grass runway. And they're like, wow, that was a great landing. That was the best we've seen all day. And I'm like, that was sheer luck. <laughs> that was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's me to repeat it. Luck. Yeah. Don't. Nope. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, so we quick got the plane tied down. We visited the beautiful gas station convenience store restaurant. Okay, I want to jump in here, though, because I just want to share that um, having flown with Brad on some interesting landings before I was a student pilot, there's nothing quite as terrifying as being educated enough to understand how hard that landing was. <laughs> <laughs> I was more nervous coming into that landing than I think that, I have been on on harder approaches that Brad's done in the past. But now I feel like I'm looking at it as though, like, what would I be doing right now if if I were trying to land this? And it it's just beyond my abilities. Like, it was just windier. The trees were closer than I want trees to be, and. You know, I don't have numbers to look at. Like everything is just over my head. Um, so I, I just want to share that. <laughs> it's almost sometimes like a lot of the other, you know, passengers that came in with other pilots and the pilots were all kind of telling their stories for landing and takeoff at this at this particular uh, weekend event. Um, but I, I, I almost for a moment envied the ones that hadn't been trying to learn how to fly. <laughs> I just want to show that ride before you go into the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it was it was exciting. We had the yoke to the stops uh, at a couple points, and you know, like I said, the stall stall horns going off because we're we're at sixty three plus uh, gust factor um, knots, and uh, you know, so we're slow, and the plane's getting getting bounced around. So you got to use lots of control input to to try to keep it straight and level and and like I said, we, we just lucked out, like the wind died right when we touched down and we greased it on. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I was so lucky. Like I was ready for bad things to happen. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting little spot. It's this couple ended up kind of stepping in to take over this runway, um, kind of at the request of, the Michigan Department of Transportation and some other folks, and they bought the the 99-year-old school that's at one end of the runway and uh, kind of host this fly-in every Labor Day weekend. Um, and the, they're retired. The husband mows this field and the wife, take, you know, is trying to slowly, very, very slowly remodel the school that is... Uh, needing some love and, and care. And we ate the Friday night at the gas station, bar, restaurant, convenience store uh, that's right near the field, and uh, which was adorable and, and really fun people uh, who were really nice. Um, Saturday was kind of the official fly-in day. Uh, Brian Turner came in his Comanche. Uh, so if you're looking to somebody to talk about Comanches, he's got some stories, uh, Chris. Uh, ask him about the gear. Um, but he flew up from Texas, uh, to this thing in his Comanche with, with his wife, Erin. Um, and, uh, Kent Shook came up, pilot Kent from the pilot cast. Uh, and 
Jim from the Midwest Flyers podcast, which is a podcast that I hadn't, I hadn't heard of his podcast and he hadn't heard of mine. Uh, so he didn't know about in the pattern, but um, got to know Fair them. Enough. And uh, so there was, there was lots of aviation, social media folk uh, around and, um, and, and lots of interesting encounters with the short runway. Um, I, it, it was really, really funny. Brian is just as funny on the radio as he is on his YouTube videos. Um, he's like calling in for on the CTAF saying, you know, I'm going to do the practice ILS to runway 28 on this sod runway. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's no instrument. Nice. class golf, baby. There's no instrument, nothing here. <laughs> like, um, you can turn any runway into an instrument runway. Okay. Yeah. So he's coming in there. Uh, Kent brought up the, the wife and the kid uh, and then took off without them to go fly a formation flight with Brian uh, to escort them in. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. The departures were, were at least as exciting as the arrivals for many people. Um, we had one gentleman in a Lance who, uh, which is basically like a Saratoga, right? It's six seat retract, uh, 300 horse. Um, and he took off and just barely cleared the trees, uh, on his departure and Kent barely cleared the trees in his Mooney ovation. He actually sent the wife and kids in an, in a Comanche, which had no problem getting off the ground, um, and met up with them at another airport with a paved runway so that he, uh, would have a little bit more margin of error, uh, during the flight, um, we had no issues getting off the ground. Michelle did the short soft field takeoff and maybe Michelle, you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, a few more comments, I guess, about the event, um, on the, the day of the fly in the official day of the fly into, which I think is, is Saturday of Labor Day weekend. And this is an annual event for those who might want to put this on their calendar. Um, but a couple of guys flew in on a weight and some weight shift aircraft, um, which again, I know all of these planes are available at Oshkosh, right? For those who come to that event and, and get to really see the wide world of aviation. Um, but to this little fly-in almost feels like a little afterglow for for the Oshkosh gang. Um, and it, it was kind of fun to get to see these different um, airplane variations and talk to some of the pilots about what they what they do with them and how they travel. Um, uh, quite a few people that joined this fly-in went on to do some other Great Lake Island uh, airstrips that are, are just beautiful summer opportunities. And, and I know we're getting late into summer now, but it's still a beautiful time of year to see the Great Lakes area. Um, so, so just wanted to add those comments as, as well. And I, I think this is the second year that Brian has come. So it's, I think it's gaining a little bit of a reputation as a fun thing to do, uh, for Labor Day weekend. But yeah, for me, uh, so I had just had a, a ground school only lesson with my CFI to talk about short field takeoffs and landings. Um, and, and for reasons, we just weren't able to go up in the plane on that flight, but we, we did a lot of chair flying and talking through and, and kind of really prepping for it. And then I went away with Brown on this weekend and thought, well, okay, <laughs> am I going to 
am I going to brave it in real life? And and I will say it was more comfortable with the idea of a short field takeoff when the trees were hypothetical. You know, that whole 50 foot obstacle being imaginary is kind of pleasant when you're a student. Um, so I was, I was a little nervous, but we talked about it a lot. And, you know, it's, it's not really a short runway. It's, it's 2,600 feet, which, you know, isn't super roomy, but it's not as short as they get either. Um, and talking to the local folks that really know the airfield too, they, they were pointing out that while it's grass, it was very well maintained and it wasn't soft. I mean, it, it hadn't rained particularly recently. And so I, I did a little bit of a, a combination of, of soft field, uh, meaning I rotated a little bit early. I stayed in ground effect a little longer than usual, but then could kind of get to VX fairly quickly and, and climb up and away. Um, did so you, um, a, I'm sorry to interrupt great. real quick, but did you, uh, did you full power it with the brakes on and wait till you got max did. power before you took off? I did. I did okay. opt to do that. Yeah. And I also um, had 25 degrees of flaps in, which when the Cherokee Warrior, which is what I'm, I'm flying, that's that standard. Um, we happen to be in the Archer for, for this particular trip, and it's the same configuration. So um, so it was a bit of a combo. But yeah, I did the full full breaks. Everything went really well. We got a nice nice compliment. I, I will confess that I was so focused on the technique and prepping myself for that. I, I forgot to do the CTAP radio call that I was taking off. But um, so you know, there's always something right on on every flight that you can improve. But the actual experience of, of doing that for the first time in kind of a real life setting. I mean, it's really unforgettable. Um, it's it's a beautiful strip. They they really take a lot of care and attention to to make it safe for pilots, and and highly recommend people checking it out. Um, granted, it's it's a bit of a remote spot. You kind of have to go there on purpose, but um, it's it was a, a lovely community and a and a lovely weekend, and we got to see Northern Lights, and it was just a really nice nice event. And I'll mention for those who've attended. Jambalaya night at at Oshkosh, which is a bit of a Camp Bacon um, event that um, that Grant and Leslie put on. They attend this Labor Day weekend as well, and they put on a fairly amazing brunch. So, <laughs> just putting out a few reasons for people to consider this uh, this annual fly in. Um, yeah, pancakes, and- fresh made, freshly mm-hmm. baked. Uh, cinnamon rolls uh there's an oatmeal station there's there's sausage uh, biscuits and gravy there's scrambled eggs uh you know all of this is made fresh um by grant and leslie on sunday morning and it was mm-hmm. absolutely incredible it's the best pancake breakfast at a fly-in you'll ever you'll ever see yeah it was spect- it was everything that you've come to imagine from from their passionate amateur catering business. <laughs> it was it was great. <laughs> We're never disappointed at Jambalaya night, that's for sure. Right. And the airstrip, I mean, we call it Sidna. It's actually Pickett Pricket Grooms and it's six Yankee Niner for those who wanna wanna research the event. But it's Labor Day weekend every year. And will forever be in my logbook as my first unofficial shirt field. Unofficial, because of course I can't. I can't really claim uh, 
experience as PIC on the trips that Brad and I do together um, because I'm only qualified to be solo. But And we don't do too many for that reason. Um, but still, it was it was great. And I think that catches us up. Uh, this is a bit of a, a longer episode, I think, but um, we had a lot going on. Awesome. We're all flying. We're all Take flying. It. Nothing like getting in the air. With that, let's wrap it up. Call it a podcast. So, uh, any shout outs before we move on to the end? Uh, a shout out to Grant and Leslie again uh, for and to the Fredericks for putting on uh, Grant and Leslie for putting on the breakfast and for to the Fredericks, uh, Brad and Ed and Diz for putting on the fly-in at Prickett Grooms. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, shout out to you, John, for coming out and meeting Aiden and I at uh, Udvar Hazi. Super, super grateful. Um, and a shout out to Jim uh, from the Midwest Flyers and Brian Turner from, uh, oh gosh, what is this called? Plain, just plain silly. Um, uh, it was it was great to see you all at uh, at the event and looking forward to seeing you again next year. Yeah, and uh, I'll say that uh, sh- so glad we got to meet up, uh, Brad. That was a lot of fun, and um, got to see you coming in on that long, long final. Um, we spotted <laughs> you up there. Oh, did you really? <laughs> way, way out there. Yeah, because I had you up on uh, on four flight for a little bit because I could see you coming in. Um, but yeah. Also, a uh, shout out to uh, Chris, the instructor I had. Um, it's great flying with him and. Um, get me back in the air so outstanding uh yeah i have one uh quick shout out i just want to give a quick shout out to uh bill wrote uh who i uh, hooked up with while we were down in uh, san diego uh didn't unfortunately get to go flying with him but we did uh run over to his local airport and have dinner at a great uh, mexican restaurant that was right there and and uh got to got to visit and have a good time for about an hour and a half or so watch the planes take off and and come in and just enjoy each other's company for a while. So it was good seeing him. It's been a little while. Um, so just all the best to Bill. And uh, thanks for uh, meeting up with me. And uh, hopefully next time we get to go fly. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Um, just a reminder, you can reach all of us at podcast and the pattern podcast.com. And we're on Twitter's in the pattern or uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash in the pattern podcast. Uh, show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found on our website in the pattern um, send in any suggestions, comments, critiques. We'd love to get in a feedback from our listeners. And with that, we'll wrap up episode 84 of the, in the pattern podcast. Like thank y'all for listening. Remember make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. I actually got cleared for the option too. And I was so excited when I got to. (laughs) For real. Cleared for the option. Yep. I was like, yes, I miss saying that.